0: That's a, that's a really, the point that you brought up is was fascinating to me. So the differentiation between a service business, I'm in the service business. I used to be in the startup world. So being a service business um, and sort of comparing these two worlds has been very fascinating for me. Service businesses are basically their obsession is to be cash flow positive, to keep the money coming in. That's what the business for a service founder is like to or partners like you is cash flow positivity reducing cost. But for a startup founder is about growing. Yes. And your interaction. So basically as long as we are growing, it doesn't matter that we have more cost than revenue.
1: Right, because there's an assumption that the value you are building through those years can be unlocked in a in a moment of you know infliction and uh, you know scale, right? So when, exactly and with services it does not happen. The, 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 it's kind of fixed right uh, to, to, to grow you need to hire people and it means you have to increase your cost on a very I would say similar basis to the revenue it's a, again boring business very traditional business which is awesome business because it can be very profitable fast without huge capital investment mm-hmm. Yarek, Aisha Vera two episodes every week The cast product innovation and in ux design podcast
0: what's up everyone it's Lincast. another episode i'm here with radek zaleski yeah. uh wow. radek is a partner at netguru if you don't know netguru netguru i think by my understanding is the best fastest growing um tech consultancies in europe I have had the pleasure working with them long back when we were scaling Grover bye bye and uh and before working with NetGuru we had to work with other developers. But as soon as the NetGuru team came in, our productivity progress did skyrocket. So uh it left a really good impression with me. I got in touch with Rodek. Roddick has fantastic, fantastic LinkedIn presence. So if you are would like to know more about the world of tech, he's the right guy, follow him on LinkedIn. Rodek has been very gracious to come on the podcast so we can talk about many things.
1: Thank you for such a, you know, I, I've listened to you and I was like, oh my God, oh my too much but thank you thank you very much i, I want <clears throat> I just maybe put a more um, pessimistic paint on what you've said, so I'm not sure if we are the fastest growing i i don't I don't know if anyone keeps the score, but I think we're bigger companies were were comparing to us i believe um what I believe is what you've mentioned but we have a very high quality of work and we this mm-hmm. is our main focus. Uh, with the NPS we are getting and the feedback we are getting is awesome. And this is basically how we get business, right? We we do the job right and then the word spreads and we get tons of inbound inquiries. And also we focus on working with what we call internally um, global innovators. Mm-hmm. So the crazy people building things from scratch, uh, like you were. In that position, um, you know, but those uh, people can be either in smaller companies like uh, startup, but also in bigger organizations, you know, corporations or, mm-hmm. or not, right? But what we focus on is building with them as a trusted partner. So that's uh, probably a difference if you compare us to other companies that let's say just provide talent, right? Or uh, just provide development services but we immerse into the product or at least mm-hmm. we try to do with our partners and then we as you explained can help you out un unlock and achieve better outcomes not only on the software side but also product um, design and, and the whole would say, your digital visibility right so it's a niche in a way mm-hmm. because you focus on the narrow market right not the full um, let's say software development uh, outsourcing market. This is rather a smaller aspect of it. And thank you very much for for kind words. It was for me it was very fun to to see that we've collaborated together five years ago. Um, I had uh, I, I just realized this right now, so pretty funny.
0: So you've been with uh, NetGuru rather for seven years as a partner. Um, it's been a long time working on one business it it shows that i mean people talk a lot about their businesses and how they are passionate about it but action speaks louder right being with one business one mission for seven years it shows a lot um why is that
1: so it's a part of part is a personal story part is uh business story so the personal stories I was one of the one of the first customers, or maybe even one of the first one in terms of uh, entity that was the customer. Right. Back in the day, I was working with a big media group, that uh, that uh, legacy organization that wanted to innovate. Basically, they hired NetGuru, and I was one of the stakeholders uh, in the in the process. And I shipped some startups with NetGuru and became friends with uh, with the founders Kuba and Victor. And then the time moved on, I joined the next company called CD Project. They are the game development studio behind the games like Cyberpunk or The Witcher. <clears throat> and then I've developed again internal startup inside this corporation with NetGuru being uh, my uh, you know, partner in crime. And then I done my own startup, it failed, and then I joined company as one of the first or maybe even first external executive, right? So the company had founding team members and it was starting to grow. I was one of the first external hires for an important, so to say, position, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a personal story. And the business story is that this is really good business. We are Mm. growing. Um, uh, The the, the numbers are there, but also it's pretty... um, fulfilling if, mm-hmm. if for a business person, right? So you get to connect with uh, numerous people uh, in uh, in the space from different regions, different types of organization, different products. This is really fulfilling. Um, what I've heard from the people that are focusing on one product, one product only,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but in, it can get taxing to solve the same you know, problem for a very long time, you're looking for, you know, other challenges, right? Mm-hmm. In a consultancy, you kind of get a lot of those challenges because of your customers, which is fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the same reasons I sort of like stopped working in, well, departed startup scene and try to be outside of it is exactly the same thing that for creative people like us, in working on one product for too long could be tiring boring not sure what adjectives you may use <clears throat> but it was for me uh, I couldn't really lie to myself you know, I couldn't really motivate myself eight hours a day nine hours a day doing the same thing improving the checkout funnel it was like oh my goodness I, I could I, do I,
1: I, yeah I've seen it uh, a lot of times in a product space right so there is, mm. I don't, I don't know if people are familiar with this uh, um, thing, that people in consultancies they often, often say, "Oh, I hate this consultancy. I have to do what the clients' work. If I just worked at product, and they jump the ship to a product, and after two years, it's like, oh my god, it's the same, it's the same, point. It's the <laughs> same uh, choke point. I need to improve for." Uh, you know, a fraction of percentage by improving a pixel here and there, <laughs> and, you know, nothing changes, right? And uh, and it kills you because it's so boring sometimes, right? You, uh, you feel like it's a uh, groundhogs day. So you go back into the consultancy, and you go sometimes back and forth, or you switch to a new, new product. So I I I, I hear this uh, a lot. Uh, so we confirm my um, lessons.
0: How do you so right now? Like Net Group been around for seven years now, right? Um, has it got to a point that you're like, okay, seven years in the making, we don't need to put so much into growing the business. We have enough brand reputation. What I'm trying to say as a as a business owner of a creative agency, been around for three years. Would it get anything easier after seven years of scaling a business, like a consultancy business? Or is it always every year you have to basically look at the market, see what has changed and do something new?
1: I think it's a grind-out type of a business. You need to Mm -hmm. be constantly aware of where the markets are going. Mm -hmm. And I, I will try to explain how we Got where we are and what's the future for us. And sure, and uh, I see it as a de- kind of design plan. Like it looks like I am smart having saying this, but I think it was much more of an adoption to the circumstances that us, you know, being fully planning all all the stuff. But so to give you to give you a, a, an idea, so company started not 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 seven years ago. I, I joined the company seven so years. It started much earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And it started as a company that, you know, it was like a couple of guys doing startups, like, you know, let's do this, maybe this, products, blah, blah, blah. And to make some money, they also did consulting. Um, What they quickly learned is that the framework uh, they chose, which is Ruby on Rails, that was very popular uh, during these days, is very good to build fast um, web MVPs. You know, Web point, web uh, 2.0, uh, Twitter craze, let's build second Facebook, blah, blah, blah. So that was this golden moment of time. Mm-hmm. And the company then was focused on web projects, right? So we, we can do a web for you. And there wasn't even this distinction, full distinction between front-end and back-end. <laughs> Basically, you had an engineer doing all of that once using Ruby on Rails, right? That was the company and uh fast forward I think it was two thousand probably thirteenth fourteenth I don't recall fully I wasn't with the company yet um there was a decision that okay uh we have to go outside of being just those web guys yeah. we need to uh do, to, to 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 do mobile because clearly mobile was you know was this huge thing going up. But also we need to start thinking about with whom are we working, because it's all cool doing those web projects. But are we getting enough traction inside the Mm -hmm. bigger organizations They might have different requirements, different appetites, different stuff? So the goal was to broaden the stack, but also go up to the food chain. So not only be, be at the execution side, but also to be able to ideate with uh, with the market, where the market is going, right? Mm. That's a different type of business. But somehow we designed this, right? The goal for us was to broaden the portfolio of services and uh, improve the um, portfolio of the customers. So we moved from the company being fully start y so to say, towards... Full stack innovation consultancy that can work with enterprises, but still we are working with a very small company right to to keep us honest right mm-hmm. so if you If you think about this, it sounds um uh clear, but it wasn't that clear when you were doing this right because then you have this full ad- adventure of like okay, mobile but mobile what like you know consumer apps. And mobile, which stack should we go native or are we React Native company? Right? These are many tactical questions you have to answer mm-hmm. during this journey, right? So you have to be always uh, on your feet to, to to go where the market is going. And right now, clearly, there's this huge, huge change, which I believe it's not um, going away. It's a real change mm-hmm. about uh, AI. Uh, Right, and I think it's a you know there was this blockchain craze, NFT craze, and I was like, nah, not really. It's a fad, right? But with this, I think it's it is real. It is here. It is going to stay, and it's totally changing how we operate. Right? Mm -hmm. This is something we're adapting right now Mm -hmm. um, for some, I would say, months or maybe even more building up the offering, making sure that we are up to date with R and D projects, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So mm-hmm. this is the next for us, how to be a leader in the AI consultancy.
0: That's fascinating. So you went from being a Ruby on rails, sort of like a developer to become a full scale innovation team.
1: Yeah. And- yeah. I would say, I would say this way. Right. And, uh, It's a funny thing because you can think it could go totally different directions, right? So Mm. you could become a a talent shop for any backend stacks, right? Without Mm -hmm. any ambitions of ownership or product ambitions, right? Or you could be a standard um, team extension company, right? Um, I'm not saying we're not doing those things because we are doing those as well. Our clear ambition is basically you work for, let's say, the biggest payment company in the globe. <clears throat> you are thinking about buy now, pay later, and you need this done from the ideation and the research through prototypes, design, delivery, maintenance, full cloud support. We want to be able to, to do this, right? Um, and the other way is, like, let's say, this is an example from you a know, few last weeks. We 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 have a customer who's a founder, super successful. He sold the company. He came back to us. He has his crazy yeah. idea from scratch, and he needs an architecture first, right? You know, if I'm building this, what's the architecture? So we are helping him as well, mm-hmm. and uh, it keeps us honest because then we are seeing this super rapid innovation from real entrepreneurs, and we can bring this right, mindset to the corporations.
0: And. You know, so I'm always wondering, and I'm, the reason I'm asking this is that I turned down two positions last year, in the last 12 months, to come in as a seed investor of two startups that we designed their applications. Not that I believe in the mission. We, of course, believe in the mission that we did take their design project. Different factors, you know, I'm still, like, you know, you know, less than three years into this business, right? So I want to just be careful about how we are allocating our investments and funds. You are doing what I do at much larger service scale. So we only offer designs, you offer the full stack. You are working with bigger companies and bigger, like a much larger client portfolio. Do you have investing activities when you see okay for example this entrepreneur coming in fantastic idea we can for example give them discount the service and get in on the share
1: right so that's a great question um so we don't have a um, program for that (laughs) which is uh something that is you know well described offered Mm -hmm. publicized marketed but often we are open to hear how the commercials could work, and then we had some deals in the past when we basically did work for some of for the equity right um it happened um so that's one thing, but also we 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 try to understand who is at what stage of a journey right, and sometimes it is worth investing in a very small company, sometimes even without any legal entity yet, just an idea and a couple of friends. Mm-hmm. Because we think that they will be successful and they will come back to us uh, with mm-hmm. uh, the full thing. So that's that. And the third thing is, we, um, our founders, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, apart from being at the company, they're private people with their money. Uh, so they started a fund. Uh, it's a, it's called Supercharge Capital, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And they invest um, in the companies, right? So mm-hmm. here are the. The, the ways of us doing stuff. What I think it's not good is uh, if you would be focusing too much on this, um, let's say, venture slash equity building because it clouds your judgment. Um, mm. If you are a founder and you have a vision, like have a clear vision that this is going to be a rocket, uh, uh, sometimes your vision is not shared by the people... Who are doing this right and to to get this vision right usually you hire those people basically you pay them and give them equity and you trust that they will share your vision build it with you or they will quit that's also fine right once if you entangle in such relation with a consultancy the risk here is that the people doing your project might not feel this passion because they are just working for the agency, right uh, the, the, the the ownership team might have it, but they're not on the project, and it, right. it might create a toxic situation here and there. <clears throat>
0: mm. Yeah, I don't understand that. You, what you were trying to say is like maybe the owners of the of the um, consultancy has a share, but the people who are doing the coding and designing and researching they don't they don't have a stack, stake in the business, hence they just do what they do without having the obsession that a a, a, a basically first time employee of a startup would have, Um, which shares.
1: Yeah, but but also there are some, um, um, I would say objective issues, right? So Hmm. let's say I'm I'm a, a professional architect working for a consultancy and i see that someone is building a rocket ship and this rocket ship has to be built in a very fast manner cutting the corners here and there how much i am invested in being professional and saying no to quote unquote stupid architecture ideas that are maybe faster but also really not secure and scalable and how much i am invested to launch this thing tomorrow and see if it flies right mm-hmm. it's a it's a different thing being an architect professionally hired and entrepreneur behind the product right and sometimes i'm seeing this attention mm-hmm. uh, right um so it can same, same can same can be told about the design right or the product right as a professional you're seeing this is half-baked idea it is really unsecure but as an entrepreneur, you might say, "Sorry for pardon my French." Like "fuck it," let us launch it, see what happens. And both mm-hmm. sides are right, right, right. Um, but if you put the equity in it, when it becomes difficult, you are architect or an entrepreneur. Are you advising proper architecture or are you cutting corners? You understand what I mean?
0: I do. I do understand. It's a fine line. I think both of them are right, and I think I think the dynamic that. Uh, basically um first or second employee or any 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 people in your founding team would have with you given that they would have shares it's totally different from someone that works for an agency or consultancy and help you trying to help you get your vision off the ground
2: Hmm.
1: yeah other stuff Uh, i think sometimes there's uh um Issue with with this uh, potential work for equity or being part owner um, is this clarity of a business model. So the, the the business model for a high growth startup company is to gain traction, uh, get money from someone else, scale, again get money, and maybe just maybe show profitability, or get acquired by the uh, competitor right, right not not the not the unusual and also the, the risk appetite is huge this is embedded into the model right as an agency you are a, i call it very boring model right it's a professional services you have to be profitable day one if not what's the sense of your existence right um if you if you don't make money on services and then your expectations from uh, your employees or or um, ecosystem is different you expect uh, consultancies to be a safe haven, right something you're going to rely on like positive cash flows positive finance right it's a completely different uh, mm-hmm. business story so also i think this is uh that kind of a risk, but those are different uh, different cultures, right? And of course, if, you, if you're if you a professional service company that you want to invest equity into the products you're building, but there's a question, do we create a new legal entity to keep the risks from the mothership, right? Uh, and then it becomes a problem. So who works for that entity? How do we govern it? Again, mm-hmm. is it worth doing so?
0: That's a, that's a really, the point that you brought up is, was fascinating to me. So the differentiation between a service business. I'm in the service business. I used to be in the startup world. So being a service business, um, and sort of comparing these two worlds has been very fascinating for me. Service businesses are basically their obsession is to be cash flow positive, to keep the money coming in. That's what the business for a service founder like two or partners like you, is cash flow positivity, reducing costs. But for a startup founder, it's about growing yes. and your interaction. So basically, as long as we are growing, it doesn't matter that we have more cost than revenue.
1: Right, because there's an assumption that the value you are building through those years can be unlocked. In a, in a moment of, you know, infliction and, uh, and you know, scale, right? So then, Exactly. And with services, it does not happen. The, the, the kind, it's kind of fixed, right? Uh, to, to, to grow, you need to hire people and it means you have to increase your cost on a very, I would say, similar basis to the revenue. It's a, again, boring business. Very traditional business, which is awesome business because it can be very profitable fast without huge capital investment. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's hard to tell an investor, like, give me 1 billion and in 2020, you know, 43, whatever, we will, we will be a monopoly and we will reap the rewards. That just does not work with agencies, right? Mm-hmm. With a product, yes, you can tell. We will, we will become, I don't know, second Google and we will reap the, the monopoly rewards, right?
0: <clears throat> In the past few years where like Corona happened, actually Corona was very successful for digital application. But after that, the global recession, well, arguably a recession. Well, at least economic downturn happened. A lot of investors pushed their founders. To focus on profitability rather than growth, and uh, sort of like I heard that some of these investors that that are in my network keep using the example of service businesses or service founders. uh, Go learn from them how they are cash flow positive from day one, right? (laughs) So my question—I don't know if you have an even input on Um, this—what could a startup founder learn from a business partner like you that growing scaling a service business at such a scale.
1: Um if you are such a founder and your VC or whatever tells you this, just come to me. I will share. <laughs> I will share our know-how. I will connect you with our founding team, CFO, whoever, happy to happy to help. Um, this is uh, marketing on my side, but um, <clears throat> apart from that, I think uh, I think it's pretty unfair from the financial markets, VCs, investors, what not, to expect this quick turnaround from mm-hmm. the founders. If the, if the preach of the town was grow grow at any scale, any possibility, burn money, whatever you need. Past you know seven years or or even more, and I think the founders were doing are doing precisely what the markets are expecting from them. So I understand that the markets change the expectations, and I'm seeing that from growth to the profitability. But I think the the good founders should push back and by say yes, I will do what you right now expect from me. Mm -hmm. Don't expect that uh, it will change during the night. But that's one. And secondly, I would push back any notion that they were doing something wrong. I think this is often uh, this uh, conversation that oh, those you know lavish spending founders, oh, those quote unquote idiots. They don't know how to run proper business. Now they will learn. Not really. They were f- they were following what the markets were saying, and the markets were following up with uh, bigger investment rounds. Right. right. So the joke is on you. You get what you expect. Right. So right now the expectations show profitability and how to achieve that. And, well, my tips would be, um, well, on the sales and the marketing side, right? In my view, a lot of those companies are pretty lavish, <clears throat> how they approach sales and marketing. This mm-hmm. is something I, I, re- I know really well. And they focus on the channels that are capital expensive mm-hmm. and not Let's say paid channels, uh, paid partnerships, huge number of swag, uh, um, uh, 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 bloated uh, PR visibility. All of that costs money for ads and agencies to operate. Without clear, in my view, sustainable pathway to um, to revenue, or I would say, uh, re- uh, revenue that can come back to you. What I would try to help them with is basically to understand your go-to-market well, focus on the channels that you can build in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. It can be different channels, right? Uh, Let's say, you know, organic content, brand building, but focus on what you can do at the start internally without spending too much money and see if if you can go from there. And then on the sales perspective side, right? So... Make sure your um, unit economics make sense, that you don't close deals just because you can make money, but mm-hmm. make sure that you understand how much of what you, you should sell with what margins to be profitable. Sometimes it is missing, right? Sometimes the, the sheer success is that you sold a lot of seats, let's say, with a, in, in a SaaS with a huge churn
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, at a very low cost. Then you try to improve this by either locking out the customer out of uh, out of a churn, uh, very black hat UX, or you try to do a price increase. Customers is like, what What are you doing? I'm churning. So be be mindful about this uh, or go go to market and union economics from the day one. And uh, again, this is what I believe, but there might be different opinions. Um, your core thing should be a product and go to market. Mm-hmm. What is needed by the market and uh, how do you get there? I think this is what should startups should focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, delivering this understood as having engineering power, not often or maybe often is not your key superpower. But mm-hmm. I've heard in the past that the companies try to acquire as much as much engineering and design talent as possible just because we might build this feature. Um, I think the more sound way is to have some key talent internally and use agencies like us, for example, because frankly speaking, this agency might be a bit more expensive, but not always as, as a hiring internally, if you add all of the cost. Yeah. costs. Has a lot of know-how how to you know have a proper engineering culture, scale. You know, those products are not that different in terms of engineering. We're different in terms of product, but in terms of engineering, are not that different. And frankly speaking, you can cut agency fast if if you know things go south. So um, what I've observed is that a lot of you know companies are working with us in a such capacity, right? They they understand that we are good, flexible costs that can you know save you in a, in a harder times, right? So that would be my tips. Um, and sometimes the final tip would be some of those business models do not make a lot of sense, unfortunately, and you should be frank with yourself. Um, like what worked in a zero rates environment? Might not work when money uh, costs you something, and I have suspicion that a lot of fintech products might not make any sense right now <clears throat> in terms of PNL. They might be, you know, interested for the end customers. They might have a traction. They might be growing, but losing money with each uh, sale or usage.
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, fintech. I mean, I just recently first of all, bumped into a. Uh, a startup that raise a seat of what they do is frame nfts in metaverse i don't know who invested in that anyways uh so there's <laughs> and so beside all those crazy business models that they might be they might come come about true in 10 years from now then we realize everyone lives in metaverses and wall. okay for your nfts on your metaverse wall, you need the frame world okay that's that's interesting right um i, but
1: I am here very harsh um i will share my uh, yeah opinion. please funded opinion is if end, and if end users are not doing this and if your only business model is media pr and getting rounds you are hmm. you are in a different business you're in entertainment business or ponzi business, but you're not in tech or product and I think that was the that was the case. Products were being built, but no one used like a, not a single user mm. said, "Oh my God, I want this," or not a single user said, "I am using this. I will tell my friends at school or you know at work they should use this zero virality it was all media fluff, all investment. And everyone was basically looking, can I sell my whatever, you know, NFT or whatever it was to, to other person? That was the only, uh, you know, traction that those products had. So in my view, it was craziness. I don't know how it was possible. I don't know where it's going. Maybe someday people will say, oh, I want to use NFTs. This is fun or this is useful, you know, organically. But unless this happens, I think it's at that. To, to yeah. that, think, for no one apart from the, the, the investors and money laundering machines
0: besides all this business model I think also there is a lot of fintech startup with the crazy business model and like very very um, oversimplified of like the, some of these f- fintech businesses they have such an oversimplified view on <clears throat> their profit and uh, loss now and in future. Uh, they're hoping to get to that economic of scale. They have, I don't know what they are hoping, maybe they ha- they achieve a mass, mass consumer base that they could basically offset their crazy uh, cost rate. Um, and, you know, at some point, Um, At some points, these venture investors that are backing these businesses that are like, okay, enough of this craziness. we got to sell this now before it gets too late.
1: Um, I I can't say I disagree. I mean, totally on spot. And uh, sometimes I share this view that a lot of those, especially fintech uh, companies, they don't know in which business they are in terms of being frank to themselves mm. uh, or to the market. I will use some of some examples, right, without mentioning uh, an exact companies. So you might think you are in a tech business, fintech business, but your key value is a great UX and there are great value-added services that are, that are catering to younger audience, let's say Generation Z or millennials. Because they loved it and they are able to and happy to pay premium for a such product, right? Mm-hmm. That's a one story. And the other story is you are in a subprime, pri- predatory lending. You are lending to the people that don't have money. And you have poor KYC and no AML. Good luck. Thoughts and prayers. And this Suicide. This is the same business, right? And the, the questions of framing, both frame, framings are true. The, the first one is in a tech bubble. The other one is in financial world. We'll see what will, what will be the outcome, right, of such businesses. And if you're honest to yourself, you you need to you need to acknowledge someday, right? Okay, we don't know who is our customer. We need to improve KYC, ML, mm-hmm. because we are giving money to the people in a zero rate environment. That's fine, but we if we have to pay for that money and they don't repay us because inflation, it is going to be a disaster, right? So. And then it's a, you know, simple financial services business. Like probably should be run by very experienced uh, yep. people creating, you know, underwriting models and risk models, right? Not, you know, cool techy guys like us. <laughs> we have no idea about this. <laughs> We, I
0: remember that we designed a fintech application. The founder wanted that, hey, make it cool that people come back to the app every day. I'm like, you're lending money, man. Like, why do users need to come back to this every day? It's not Facebook you're making. It's not TikTok. It's just a lending financial vehicle that after you lend, people are going to go live their lives and come back again if they need money.
1: Right, so... But you you know, and that's the difficult part because if you we've discussed those market expectations, right? So if your market and investor expectations are fly to the moon, grow, mm-hmm. I don't care. We need more evaluations. If this is very, this is very, the, the request, the, the same response to this is yeah, let's focus on, you know, be, being, you know, beautiful, being this is a second Facebook. Because then you can tell tell the media story, right? Then you uh-huh. can tell it, right. When you can tell the story like this, magical app caters well to this demographics because of a fantastic UX. The UX is driven by this, you know, hero design guy who looks good on a press shot, right? I can understand why it's happening. Uh, underlying, basically, it's a landing up without any. Um, real usage people use it once to get for money they never come back you know then on the product level this design story doesn't adapt but is, mm. it, is it something you would like to share with the general market I don't think so right so I think this reckoning is kind of happening this part yeah. profit- of the profitability will change in my view a lot how those companies communicate or build their products we'll see how it ends
0: So we have seen in the past, some years, many trends come and go. We've seen them go on top of of the PR. Everyone talk about a trend on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, and they fade away, but one of the trends that I think you mentioned it, and it took me by surprise a lot, especially with the introduction of ChatGBT. Is the new wave of AI tools that are extremely useful. Yeah. Like, extremely useful. Like hours saved per day useful. Like, not a frame on a digital wall type of situation. It's like, okay, um, write me 100 new, e- 100, like I've got 100 leads. Write me introduction email for each of them. Each of the emails needs to be different, useful
1: yes so this is one of the examples that's 100 percent correct so let's go back to those nfts for a moment right so no one ever said oh my god i've seen this twitter gif nft doing something i want this no one ever said that but there's a huge pressure right now inside the boardrooms when someone shares on linkedin on twitter like you've mentioned right with this now, oh my god this just cleaned up my leads list oh my god it's emailing for me oh my god and it's cleaning and enriching the data when you ask question can we have can we have this tomorrow so this is the real traction right this is a real product traction my take on it is that depending on how you look at this it can be bleak or it can be top for the tech environment and, and the scene so bleak can be there will be only a few leaders like, you know, uh, OpenAI Mm -hmm. or or Google. Everything Mm -hmm. else will be just a call to API. And all of those startups will be basically interfaces that are getting calls to the API, getting something back, you know, showing it to the end user. But ultimately, they have zero mode. Um, Because, you know, ultimately, if if it has a good traction, OpenAI or whoever will do the same, you are done because the backend is the same stuff. It's the same call after all, right? You don't, you don't have any advantage. Even right. I myself created i I'm, I'm right now a CEO of a startup call, called to GPT-3. I should update it to GPT-4 because the number of such ideas is crazy. The fun fact is I've changed my role to be CEO of a startup and already got the this interest, which is honestly this is, this is absolutely mine. This is total bonkers, right? Um really investors wrote to me if I'm interested to get to to, to get them know what my company is doing. And it's, it's just a joke. So that's a you know bleak. <clears throat> but then there is the good part, right? So those uh, learning modules, they there a lot there's a lot of open source going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stuff that you could you can put yourself put the data in yourself and to train your models or you can use models that are open-ended right done by uh by, not by the commercial organizations right and then it's a totally different because then it can enable your organization especially for a bigger organization to Mm -hmm. either build your own models or use open source models without showing the world how it's being done, not that Mm -hmm. easy to copy and to build your own inherent value inside of organization, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is the most interesting part here. Um, This is what I think we should be focusing on as a company. Of course, this this, uh, chat AI and Google, Microsoft as well. Um, But I think Ultimately, this is how it will play out. The organizations will be focusing on their own, smaller or bigger, AIs or, or or models, right? And then it comes to the part: what's the role of an engineer, of a developer? Hmm. You are seeing a lot of those, you know, um, tweets, posts like, "Oh my God, it codes for me. No coders needed." And kind of it can be true for you know small microservices, connecting different APIs simple, repetitive tasks, but the real engineering is to understand what with which part of this ecosystem we're connecting with, how it is being governed, what's the architecture, do we have uh, proper tests, and there is the product, right? The UI, the UX, how do you interact with it? Does it bring value? And I think it's a huge unlock for companies like us and for the bigger organizations, right? Because you can create magic very fast. This is something that excites me and I think we will be um, developing uh, uh, further with our customers.
0: I think so too. Like, you know, it's just like, uh, it's it's the same argument that say, hey, ChatGBT can write me an email or write me a post, then I don't need a marketing team. I think that that won't happen. Maybe it reduced the workforce uh, to a certain degree. I don't know. I don't not in position to put a percentage on it by how much percentage, but they will reduce the workforce for sure because, you know, um, maybe by 10% or something, but it's not going to erase the need for having a marketing team or for having a tech team or having a design team. You know, of course, you know, if you, if you, I think now if NetGuru wants to hire, devs or designers you would ask hey do you use Net chat gbt in your workflows how you use it
1: Precise, right we, we we've we implemented those things already in our workflows so that would be the first question but also it would be how you can use those systems to your advantage to bring mm-hmm. value to the either product or the customer you're working with right
0: 100
1: and this is this is the biggest unlock right no one ever Seen a value of doing repetitive tasks, right? Um, yeah. What we what we should be focusing on, how we can replace those repetitive tasks with a with a machine, and then it gives you time to 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 bring more value in other aspects. I will I will give you one example. I've discussed with my uh, with my colleagues uh, at the company I work for with the CD project. Um, so I was pitching them the idea that they should get interested in this whole AI. They said they are already onto it. Cool. And uh, what, what I was thinking for them, for example, is that uh, when you have a huge game, you need to write a lot of dialogues. And those dialogues that are key, they will be for sure written by yeah. the, by humans, right? A lot of emotions, uh, iterations. Yeah. The the secondary dialogues, I think, the same, right? But then you have all those ambient um, world surroundings when you have NPCs, not not play characters, interacting with each other. And right now it's done by probably junior writers creating scripts, right? And if you're a gamer, you can clearly get the idea that the script is repetitive, right? You're cutting in the same, let's say. Yeah. And you hear the same sentence a lot. You you might have uh, 15 variations, but after a while, you hear them again and again and again, right? And I assume that for the junior writers, it's, it's not something that they care deeply about. They probably would love to do some other stuff. <clears throat> but my thinking was, if you can create a database of a whole lore of a setup, of a gaming setup of a world that you're in, and then you would create a system of uh, that is connected to the game engine that you're building the game in, it allows you to create uh, ad hoc conversations between NPCs based on ChatGPT, right? Mm. Um, that would be awesome because then almost each of conversation would be different, right? And they, the the ease of creating such conversation based off a lore would be potentially exceptional, right? So uh, you know, connect um warrior from the faction A with a magician from this fraction B, make them talk about um situation X with mentioning this item. And you put just those brackets in. And then you have a cool conversation and then you say, okay, create me 15 variations and it's awesome, right? At least on paper. <clears throat> so I think this is the biggest unlock, right? For for organizations who are one of the Potential use cases: How you could make your life easier to focus on more important stuff, right?
0: Yeah. For, to summarize, if I get it correctly, that like new advent, new um, the AI capabilities allows gaming companies or gaming teams to create more exciting, dynamic, open worlds.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's one because um, those ambient stories ambient npcs they would be more interesting right but think about the analog on this quality content right you Mm -hmm. will get much more help on this top content done by the humans because you would be you you can have a bigger group of people working on that Mm -hmm. right so if if you look at the you know 3d assets Let's say in games, some of them are repetitive because to create a top-notch asset, it's costly, right? Takes a human to for a long time to create a top-notch asset. Um, If you can have an AI recreating those less important assets, then you can tell humans to focus on those top-notch assets more. Then you have will, you know, the games will look better. Basically, the the world will be more immersive. I hope it's clear for anyone who with playing games because I'm digging a bit of into the game development here. So.
0: Now that's lovely. We will we love gaming. That's why I think it's a good, really good example as well. Uh, what do you think about, so here's in this, if you stay in the gaming, I really want to like get your input in here. You have a beautiful mind and like really great conversing with you. What do you think about today juniors that they want to level up? Like, you know, if you want to become a senior, you have to start from this, like, mundane, like, conversation script, mundane graphics. Like, in, this, in the world of gaming, in the world of UX, you have to start with improving the, the navigation menu. When we get to a point that AI could do this mundane task, how can we how can juniors level up and gain experience to become senior seniors so they can work on those critical scenes and
1: so that's a top question. I'm not a game developer myself. I say, you know, in the front lines, I'm more of a exec, but <laughs> how I would view it from the executive position is such person should show me that uh, he or she is totally capable of using modern tools, mm. to advantage to develop the outcomes faster with a top quality. I don't really care how those outcomes are generated, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone could tell me and prove to me I am proficient at finding new tools, implementing in the workflows that saves my time and your time, so I can focus on more important stuff or tinker around the stuff that was being produced so it's excellent quality, this, I think, would be the top unlock. What I think would be um, probably only a good tip for the absolute top talent, creative talent, is that you're such top creative talent, either visually or narrative or doing sound effects, that you have a such artistic vision that is super hard to copy, or super hard, or almost impossible to copy by those systems, right? And this is the master level. On the senior level, I would rather say the proper mode would be: I'm excellent at using those systems, but also I'm excellent at telling the juniors, folks, how to use those systems to, to the team advantage, right? Mm-hmm. And probably this, let's say, old school type of senior slash management persona that you know, squeezes everything out of a junior. You stay after hours. I need everything from you. You know, 15 hours a day, crunch. I don't think the skill is something of value right now. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe still it is, but I have doubts if it's going to be a skill of value in the future. I think the value would be we work less because we used all of those machines and we set it up beautifully. Um, but again, that's my perception a long time, not in the business, so right um, uh,
0: it's been a lovely fifty four minutes of conversation. I would like to pose you one last question. I think you have a lot of experience in this field, so I would like to end this conversation with this a i is happening you and I are in the trenches you we know that how at least I'm sensing it the 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 pace that we used to work. Comparing it to the current pace, it's getting faster and faster. Teams need to deliver and launch their products to the market so they can gain feedback faster. When you work with corporates or when you try to basically um, start a new partnership with corporates, Based on my experience, maybe your experience is different. Some of the corporates still they don't understand how such a fast paced environment tech world is it is or it's getting. How do you go and talk to them hey um and sort of like try to communicate uh, the importance of being fast to yeah. corporates that been traditionally slow and conservative Mm
1: -hmm. so two two comments here so I believe that it was true seven years ago
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) but right now I look at myself I am 42 I'm not young anymore and the people at my age are execs in the corporations so they are me right I am myself kind of an exec in a big company right so I think this pace and need for fast movement, movement, it's fair. It's no longer. Let's wait and see how things going. I think it's fair. Uh, what I think is an issue is that usually, the, or maybe not usually, 99% of the time, the blockers are around the compliance, safety, security, um, brand perception. Mm. So, even though you want to move fast, you know how to do it. You expect your customers uh, sorry your partners at the agency side to do it you are getting blocked on a simple level of you know to fill out this form to to do this check right we are starting collaboration one of the major corporations right now the legal process is around nine months to just get on which is you know from our perspective it's madness but this is how it is uh, the legal team is not that big <clears throat> you have to stay in your lane a lot of you know things are being processed that's fine so that's that's one thing, right? And the second thing I've I've observed, comparing to the um, to the startup environment, that those people inside the corporations they've seen many many more failures, and many many more mm. fads and hype cycles. And let's say whenever they see a new trend, let me find a good example. Let's say for 50 minutes groceries, right? It's a it was a COVID trend. <clears throat> They, they look at it, but if they are, let's say, my age or older, like 50, and they work for the groceries chain for their life, I think they're pretty much suspicious towards business models around the Internet. It's not like they don't think that people will uh, or are buying groceries online, or it's not like they don't want to be part of the story. It's rather, we've mm-hmm. seen it so many times, how do we make money? Mm-hmm. Let let them go first uh, by the startups. I've I've observed this many many times. Like yeah, we precisely know what is happening. Yes, we precisely know we we should be doing this. Yes, we know there is a consumer need. Let them go first by starting. Mm-hmm. right? And let's see how they are in terms of profitability. Because if you are in a groceries business and you are selling food and you you have very low margins. Uh, splurting away for user acquisition and a highly expensive delivery might kill your margins. That's it, right? But also it might kill your different stuff that you're not unaware, like, you know, upsell potential, Mm -hmm. um, impulse buying, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, right? That you don't have in a fast delivery, right? So um, I would be pretty optimistic about the state of corporate innovation. I think they sometimes are being underserved, especially by the media, PR, and there's this huge pressure. Look Mm -hmm. at this startup, why are you not doing this? And the folks running this, okay, we're not doing this because we don't want to lose money, right? Or we don't want to kill our um, margins, at least not now. So I would say that's my answer to it.
0: That's a lovely answer something that I could chew on because it's a very mature answer to summarize. What you said is corporates, um, work their work hard to get to a position that they can be cautious. They can take, they can take their time and taking their time. is actually in their advantage because they can see which idea is going to become successful and which new idea is going to go bust.
1: Yeah. Um, I need to finish because I need to go with my son to a football school. Lovely chatting with you. It was a great uh, conversation. Likewise. Uh, Thank you, folks. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure. Thank you, folks. Ciao. (laughs) Bye-bye.